Well, greetings, brethren, and welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study where we take the scriptures line upon line. And I just uh, want to apologize. I'm not in my normal studio, so I don't have access to my cameras and different uh, backgrounds and also access to the scriptures. For some reason, I'm unable to share the scriptures this evening. So I'm going to uh, rely on you that you'll be reading along in your Bibles and uh, able to follow, as we say here, line upon line. Um, we're up to Isaiah chapter 15, and we'll, God willing, we'll also cover chapter 16. We'll open with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the study for this evening. Our Heavenly Father, our great God Almighty, we come before you. We are ever so grateful just for your loving kindness, your favor upon us. This, this world is a very dark world. It's certainly turning uh, hostile towards Christ in a very blatant and explicit way. And those of us who are devoted to him are now in the crosshairs. So, Father, we pray that you will fill us with courage, you'll fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we'll have that courage and that we will always declare Christ faithfully. We pray that you'll continue to educate us week by week so that we can just stand in, in strong confidence in the counsel of your word. We praise you. We pray for your blessing and thank you for your blessing upon our brother Murray and uh, his dear wife, Lisa. Thank you, God, for your tender mercies there. We pray that you'll continue to provide your miraculous intervention. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We praise you. We pray for your continued guidance and inspiration. In Jesus' holy name, amen. So as I mentioned, brethren, I do not have access to the scriptures, so I'm just going to go ahead and read and then just count on the fact that you're also reading line upon line. One of the disadvantages here is I wanted to read uh, this evening from the complete Jewish Bible again because there's just a lot of narrative in uh, chapters 15 and 16. I think the complete Jewish Bible does a better job of just making the narrative plain. I, I will, well, <laughs> you could have seen it. For my own sake, I'm going to have the King James open in parallel. So if there's anything in the complete Jewish Bible that is not familiar or totally unfamiliar, I can just pop over and read uh, the King James as well. Now, as we get started, I want to, in fact, go back to chapter 13, because Isaiah 11 and 12 represent the turning point. This is where the Messiah clearly comes on the scene. And from this point, then, after 11 and 12, God begins to pronounce judgments on these nations and all these nations that actually surround Judah. Now, if we are not reading Isaiah as one narrative, then we might miss the, the, the point of that. And the point is, you know, the first part of Isaiah's vision concerns Judah and Jerusalem, in particular, their flaw, their arrogance, their pride, their corruption, and their reliance on Gentile nations instead of relying on their God. And they are punished for that. And they are punished for that through Gentile nations, according to the prophecies laid down by Moses in Torah. Now, once they are punished and driven to that point of deep, true, wholehearted repentance, then God redeems them. So that, that tribulation that they are forced to suffer is not just to destroy them. It's to actually turn them to God 
And once they turn, then God turns to them and fulfills all the outstanding promises that he has toward them as a nation, as a people. He uses the Gentiles, according to the prophecies laid down by Moses in Deuteronomy, he uses the Gentiles to punish his people. This was part of the curse for disobeying the covenant. But once they repent and turn to him, he then turns and punishes these same Gentile nations. So as we begin this march through Isaiah, and we begin to see all of these um, judgments that are pronounced upon the surrounding nations, let us be clear on the, the narrative. Like, what is the theme here? The, the theme is, these are the nations that destroyed God's heritage. These are the nations that persecuted God's people. And now that God's people have repented, that work is done, his strange work uh, that he described by Habakkuk, the rod of his anger described by Isaiah. Once this strange work is done, then God turns and destroys these nations and punishes them for touching the apple of his eye. So as we're going through that, I want us to be clear about that. The other thing I'd like us to be clear about as we read through these prophecies of Isaiah is the prophecies are dual. That in the time of King Ahaz, and in the time of these kings that, that reigned uh, in Judah, while, while uh, Isaiah was prophesying, these prophecies came to pass. The, 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 you know, the, the prophecy of, of, of the Messiah, he prophesied this 700 years before Isaiah, before the Messiah came. And the Messiah came exactly as he prophesied. But there's a dual duality to this prophecy about Messiah. And this is what most of the Jews missed, that there was a first and then a second coming. But even with these other prophecies regarding the punishment of Judah, and specifically Jerusalem, and regarding the punishment of her enemies, these are also dual. These happened in the time period, anciently of Isaiah. But as you read Isaiah's prophecies, clearly they were not intended exclusively for his time. Clearly these prophecies are pointing to the end time. And, and that's why Isaiah, uh, God speaks through Isaiah to say his counsel will be done because he declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times that which is not yet done saying his plans will stand. And so he, he sets up a pattern with the, this dance between Judah and Jerusalem and the surrounding nations, he sets up a pattern which is established anciently, but then which is repeated for the end time. And clearly the way the prophecies are worded, they, they are clearly not exclusively to Isaiah's time. But as we read some of these prophecies, some of the things just clearly apply anciently, but some of them clearly apply to the end time. And then the third thing, <clears throat> that I would like us to take note of as Isaiah marches through these judgments from chapter 13 to 39, the judgment upon nation, upon nation, upon nation. And he'll even come back to judgments upon Judah and Jerusalem. But as we march through these judgments of the nations, the other thing that we must not miss is this is exclusively and entirely and wholly Middle Eastern. The Bible is a book about the Middle East. It's a book about this, his people, in the Middle East, yes, they get scattered around the world, 
but the covenant is a land covenant. And if we start thinking about the covenant and excluding the land, then we, we lose our way. The, the, the covenant deeply and, and, and intimately involves the relationship that God has with the land, the promised land, the exclusive land, and the relationship that his people should have and will have with the land. And once we locate the land, then, then it has a, the, the, the prophecies have a geographic center. And that's why the nations that are judged are the nations that surround Judah and Jerusalem. And then finally, what I want us to notice is that all these nations that come under condemnation by Isaiah, that surround Judah, they're all Islamic. Every single one of them is Islamic. And so we can expect then, just as these nations destroyed Judah anciently, that that's what's going to happen in the near, in, in, in it's happening right now. The whole world is turning against Judah. Anti-Semitism is becoming tolerable, even desirable. And all of this is because the various nations now are leaning toward Islamic sentiments and Islamic perspectives and narratives. So let's, as we, as we march through the, these prophecies from 13 to 39, let's keep those things in mind. I want to go back to Isaiah 13 and verse 1. So this is where the judgments begin. And I just want to highlight this Middle Eastern notion here. <clears throat> Uh, in the complete Jewish Bible. This is a prophecy about Babel, or the burden of Babylon in, in the King James, which Yeshayahu, the son of Amat, saw. And then in verse 11, God says, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. Okay? So God is now acting, and the world is coming under condemnation. But again, let's see which nations he focuses on. Because these nations are running after, or the world is running after these nations. And so there was a, a, a beast power that, that took control of the world, and then it died. And then the, the prophecy is that that same beast power will be resurrected and it will come back. And it will again seize control of the world. And God says he will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And then he says... I will end the arrogance of the proud. Well, this was Judas, this was Judah's fault. This was their flaw. They were arrogant. They, God says, I've brought up children and they've rebelled against me. So, so the flaw of Judah was arrogance, but now we see as he marches through the judgment on these surrounding nations, their flaw is also human pride. This is the flaw of the devil, and he injects it into human beings. So now Babylon is going to be judged, and he says he's going to punish the wicked, and he's going to end the arrogance of the proud. And so we can expect in this end time uh, a real notion of moral superiority. And, and there, there is no greater evil done than the evil that is done under the banner of moral supremacy. And so that's what we can look forward to. I will end the arrogance of the proud and humble the insolence of tyrants. And certainly this is the, 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 the tone of the, the world today. We're heading into tyranny, medical tyranny, religious tyranny, political tyranny. Uh, the, the value of the human being is being diminished as we remove Christ from society. Oh, we don't care about Christ. We're atheists. We're, we don't, we're, Christ is nothing. Fine. Let's remove Christ from society. 
And now let's look at society. And now let's look at these same atheists that don't want to acknowledge Christ. And let's see what their lifestyle will be once Christ is removed. Their arrogance is built in the Western world anyway. This arrogance is built upon the freedom that Christ's teachings have injected into society. So now when we, when we remove Christ, we get human tyranny. Beautiful rhetoric, notwithstanding. Verse 17. Now, this is what I want you to notice. The judgment is on Babylon. Chapter 13 is a judgment against Babylon, which is Iraq. And today we see the movement of ISIS in Iraq, Iraq and, and, and Syria. So in that area of anciently called Babylon, this is the, the realm of ISIS today. Are they arrogant? Are they, are they tyrannical? Absolutely. Do they have a sense of moral superiority as they carry out their evil? Absolutely. Now notice in verse 17, I will stir up against them, that is Babylon, as he's going to destroy Babylon, I will stir up against them the Medes, who cannot be tempted by silver or bought off with gold. Well, who are the Medes? Well, the Medes and the Persians are what we would call Iran today. And there is a bitter conflict between Sunni Islam, which is taking over anciently what's called Babylon, and Shiite Islam, which is headed by Iran. And it says they cannot be tempted by silver or bought off with gold. They have an agenda that is, is ideological. And, and it's not about money. You, it doesn't matter how much money you pay them. They have an agenda. And so God says now he's going to stir up the Medes. This is Iran. This is Shiite Islam that's going to destroy. This is a nuclear, or it's going to be a nuclear-enabled nation that can't be bought off with silver or gold. God is going to stir. This is all Middle Eastern conflict. And that's, that's, that's if we, we are so focused on the West and so focused on North America, we're going to miss the action. The action is centered on Judah and her neighbors. So God is going to stir up Iran, who cannot be tempted by silver or bought off with gold. Verse 18, their bows will tear young men to pieces. And don't we see that in Islam with all this suicide bombers and you just see people blown to pieces. Their bows will tear young men to pieces. And notice their bowmen, right? This is, a, again, the, the false uh, um, rider on the white horse is a bowman. Their bows will tear young men to pieces. They will have no pity on the fruit of the womb. Their eye will not spare children. But this, yes, as much as it's going to be pointed to Judah, now it's pointed to Babylon. This, this is, this is that we see the destruction of Babylon through the Medes. Verse 19. Thus Babel, or Babylon, that jewel of kingdoms, so there's going to be a great palace there. It's going to, we read in Zechariah 5 how, how wickedness leaves wherever it's focused and it's going to go back to where it began at the Tower of Babel. We see that in Zechariah 5. So we can expect in the future, Iraq and, and, and Babylon in particular are going to feature large. We can expect a great palace there and great, great um, uh, splendor. But thus, Babel or Babylon, that jewel of kingdoms, listen again, the pride and glory of the Castim or the Chaldeans, the, the Babylonians. The, this is going to be their pride and glory. 
But this is how, God says, it will be like Sodom and Gomorrah. So who knows what uh, the Medes, what kind of um, uh, uh, terror they will unleash on Babylon, and they cannot be bought off. It's, a, it's an ideological, uh, moral high ground battle that's going to bring down Babylon. And this is how Babylon will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when overthrown by God. Verse 20, it will never again be inhabited. So that to me, it does sound like some kind of a nuclear blast that completely wipes them out. Uh, it will never again be inhabited, never lived in through all generations. Listen, Arabs will not pinch, pitch tents there, nor shepherds bring their flocks. Why would God call out Arabs in the, in the uh, King James, neither shall the Arabian pitch tent there? So clearly, clearly, just by the way this is worded, the Arabians feature large in the end time. Clearly, the Arabians do what they want at will until this time. And now they can no longer do this. And as much as uh, Babylon is the glory and the, and the Arabians clearly are part of this glorification of Babylon, now they will no longer do this. So again, this is a book about the Middle East. And clearly the Arabs are going to feature very significantly in the end time. And hopefully we see this. Hopefully we can turn on the news tonight, any night, and just see this. Turn on the news, watch the Middle East. The Arabs are flexing their muscle and gaining traction and momentum. And they're going to have their way until, until the end, when God brings them down. Then in chapter 14, and verse 1, For the Lord will have compassion on Yaakov. He will have compassion on Jacob. He will once again choose Israel and resettle them in their own land. The Bible is a book about Israel. It's a book about uh, the, the covenant relationship with Israel, and that involves the land. And there is a period where God hides himself from Jacob, and by Jacob we mean all 12 tribes. But the focus now, because the northern tribes were divorced, the focus now is on Judah and Jerusalem. But when God acts, he's going to bring all 12 tribes back. He's going to bring those lost tribes and weave them back into the, the tribe of Judah, bring them back into the covenant, and they'll be one stick. And so the 12 tribes will be represented, but they, the covenant is about land. And they will be in their own land. And that's the, the, the prophecy that Moses laid down, that after they truly repent, they'll be brought back to their own land. So this is about the land in the Middle East, where foreigners will join them, attaching themselves to the house of Yaakov. So the whole world will finally acknowledge that the Arabian doctrine or the Arabian narrative is false and that the true narrative belongs to the house of Jacob. Verse four, he says this to Jacob, you will take up this taunt song against the king of Babylon. So, so God is now encouraging his people who have suffered tremendously under Babylon to taunt Babylon, to, to sing a song of taunting against Babylon. At last, the oppressor is stilled. So again, you get this sense that they, they have tremendous power. They have tremendous glory. They are flexing their muscles in the Middle East primarily and against Judah and Jerusalem primarily. And then that ripples out and expands the rest of the world. 
And finally, the oppressor is stilled. You, you, there's this great sense of relief and like, it, it almost seemed like it would never end. But it did end and it will end. At last, the oppressor is stilled. Notice his arrogance is ended. This is all about human arrogance, the, the, the satanic infection of pride in the human being and, and, and the devastating consequences of that. But finally, it's ended. So whatever this is, this Babylonian, uh, so should I say, uh, exaltation in the end time, whatever is the cause of this exaltation, it is rooted in pride. It's this sense that, oh, we are the special people. We are, we are, anybody who doesn't follow us is subhuman. Anybody who doesn't follow us must be subjugated because we're the best. Does it, you know, ring bells of Allahu Akbar. And, and unless you're with us, you're nothing. You're, you're just kafir, you're, you're garbage. You're less than garbage. So there's this whole sense of tremendous pride and exaltation. And finally it ends speaking to the king, and this is the song they're to sing. They all greet you with these words. Now you are as weak as we are. You have become like us. So it's incredible oppression, incredible tyranny. And now this king has been brought down to the same level as his subjects. And then we saw this last week. Verse 12, where we know this is speaking of Satan. Lucifer falling from heaven. How did you come to fall from the heavens? Morning star, son of the dawn. How did you come to be cut to the ground? Conqueror of nations. Okay, clearly, this is talking about the devil. Verse 16. Those who see you will stare at you. So now this demonic being, Lucifer, who clearly wanted to be like God, has been cut down. But in the cutting down, Isaiah is clear, we're talking about a man. So in fact, when we're talking about the devil here, we're talking about the incarnation of the devil and how he is expressing himself in human flesh. And this beast power, this human political power, person, is in fact the incarnation of the devil. And just as Christ incarnates himself in flesh, Satan wants to be like the Most High. So he's doing the same thing. And just as God, Christ, has his covenant people, Satan's doing the same thing. So he incarnates himself in flesh, and he has a people, and he wants them to be the special people. And he's mirroring or copying and trying to create this narrative so that he can be like the Most High. And so we see what we're seeing now is the incarnation of the devil in a human being. Those who, and, 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 and clearly as well as we read this, because we're very familiar with, oh, how Lucifer fell from the heavens. We're familiar with this verse. But in context, this is about the conflict and the destruction of God's people. That, that, that the agenda of the devil is to destroy the Jews. And woe unto any of us who get caught up in this end time in anti-Semitism. Woe unto any of us who find ourselves on the wrong side of the fence when God comes to strike the enemies of Judah. 
And so this is why we need to be very, very careful. The Marxists are totally in support of the Islamic agenda. The Marxists are turning the Western nations against Judah to the point in my lifetime, I can't believe. <laughs> I, you know, I haven't lived that long. But in my lifetime, the wholesale trading of values that I have witnessed, that as a child, anything uh, uh, to do with homosexuality was outrageous. It was outrageous. In my lifetime, I've seen it gone from being outrageous and despicable to being the honorable thing and the thing that everybody must hold in high esteem. And in my lifetime, I've seen, I, I remember, and I couldn't, as I got older, I couldn't believe how close my history classes were teaching about the Holocaust and, and never again and Remembrance Day. As a child, I was taught all of that. But as I got older and I looked back, I couldn't believe how close in time just a matter of a few decades. I didn't realize it just happened the other day. And now here we are. It's not never again anymore. It's like we can't do this soon enough. Now we have parades holding up Hitler saying he didn't finish the job. He was a great man. We need to finish the job. And Western civilizations are getting caught up in this. So woe unto any of us who fall on the wrong side of this equation. It's going to be terrible. Yes, God's people are corrupted. Isaiah doesn't hide that. But they are God's people. And God has a counsel. God has a plan. God has a strategy that he says nobody can withstand his strategy. And here we see Satan copying the strategy, but making everything the opposite in order to negate the strategy. And human beings have, get caught up in this seduction. And I fear that even God's, because we're not quite understanding the whole picture are getting swept up with the Marxists who, have give, who are uh, supporting the Islamic uh, agenda, thinking that they can play with Muslims like they're puppets. But we'll see how that turns out. Certainly in the Middle East, Islam is going to control what happens, the agenda in the Middle East. And we're seeing it unfold right before our eyes. Hopefully we can't, we're not denying it anymore. He says here, Those who see you, these are human beings looking at a human being. Those who see you will stare at you, reflecting on what has become of you. And this is what they'll say. Is this the man, not the demon, not the, the fallen angel, the incarnation of that angel, the beast power? Is this the ish in Hebrew, the man? Is this the man who shook the earth? And people say, who can make war with him? Who made kingdoms tremble. So he's going to have an ideology that's going to be crushing and make kingdoms, excuse me, tremble. Excuse me. The Lord of hosts has sworn, this is verse 24, saying, and just by the way, I was reading verses um, 14 to six, 12, 12 and then 16 there. In verse 24, the Lord of hosts has sworn, listen to this, just as I thought it, it will occur. Exactly the way I thought it, the way I planned it. That's how it's good. This is Satan trying to destroy the Jews so that he can destroy God's plan. If there is no Jew left on the earth, then God is a liar. 
because God promised that he will redeem Judah and he will establish Jerusalem. So if Satan succeeds in wiping out the Jews, from the river to the sea, Palestine must be free, which basically means every Jew must be destroyed. If Satan succeeds in that, then God is a liar. But God says, I've sworn, <laughs> I've sworn this thing. And just as I thought it, it will occur. Just as I planned it, so it will be. So this, we have to understand this. Now, in verse 25, 13 and 14 is this judgment over Babylon, what we would call ISIS today. So they're coming under judgment. And then out of nowhere, we're talking about Babylon. But out of nowhere, in verse 25, Isaiah is inspired to write, I will break the Assyrian. I will break Asher in my land. So, so we're talking about Babylon and the judgments on Babylon, and then suddenly it's about Assyria in God's land. And I will trample him down on my mountains. Then his yoke will fall off them, his burden be removed from their shoulders. So the connection that I'm making here is that Babylon will come under Assyria, that, that, that the, the wickedness will go back to its headquarters, which is Babylon, but that will all come under Assyria which is today Turkey, the, the, the land we call Turkey. And so there we have this whole, we see it today, this uh, Turkish enlargement, Turkish aggrandizement, Turkish expansion. And Erdogan clearly sees himself as the, the, the caliph and, and the resurrection of the Ottoman Empire. And so the Turks have an agenda to rule the world under Islamic domination, and so does ISIS. And now there's going to be this conflict. And so my reading here is leader of Turkey will in fact crush ISIS and take over Babylon. And so the judgment is in Babylon, but the king of all of this is Assyria. So again, all of this is Middle Eastern. It has nothing to do with Europe. It has nothing to do with North America. It has to do with the land, God's land and the nations that surround that land, and the arrogance of this Assyrian to come into that land with the abomination that makes desolate. So in crushing Babylon, he says, I will break the Assyrian in my land. I will trample him down on my mountains. Then his yoke will fall off them. His burden be removed from their shoulders. Verse 26, this is the program planned for all the earth. This is the hand stretched out over all the nations. So, yeah, this is global, but the focal point is Assyria. Sorry, uh, I'm par pardon me, is the Middle East, and particularly the Promised Land, and the Assyrian coming into the Promised Land, and God saying, okay, that's enough. So the, the, the judgment, that this is the program. This is God's counsel. He declared it from the beginning. It's for the whole earth. So I'm, I'm here just outside of Toronto, wherever you are, this affects all of us. But the focal point is the Middle East, as wonderful as we think our cities are. And so this is the program planned for all the earth. This is the hand stretched out over all the nations. Verse 27, for the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who shall disannul it? So let me read it from the complete Jewish Bible. The Lord of hosts has made his decision. Who is there that can stop him? We just saw Satan himself incarnating himself in a human being, giving this human being incredible political power. He's unstoppable until God stops him. 
that in fact God was just using him as the rod of his anger. Who is there that can stop him? He has stretched out his hand. Who can turn it back? Verse 29. Now, we talked about this last week as well. Do not rejoice, O Palestinians, any of you, that the rod which struck you is broken. So the rod which struck them is Judah. So Judah's fighting the Palestinians and, and, and doing a good job of defending themselves. And then Judah's rod is going to be broken. And at that point, the Palestinians are going to rejoice. Again, this is all Middle East. And so we've got Iraq. And next week, we'll look at Syria. We've got Turkey. Now we've got the Palestinians. All of them are coming under judgment because they are destroying and persecuting God's people. Do not rejoice, O Palestinians, any of you, that the rod which struck you is broken. For out of the snake's root will come a viper, and his offspring will be a flying, fiery serpent. So Judah will be able to strike back through the mercy of God. Verse 31, Howlgate, cry city, melt away, Palestinians, all of you. For a smoke is coming from the north with not a straggler in its ranks. So clear, clearly God is making it very clear. He has an agenda. He has a plan. He's made a decision. Nobody can stop it. So this whole movement around the Palestinians, or sorry, let me say, the Jews being occupiers, and they need to come out of the land, and the land belongs to the Palestinians, that, that's going to take traction globally. And even now we see the current administration in the U.S. funding the Palestinians to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars uh, against Judah. And, and our nation, no doubt, is doing the same. And this is, this is the sentiment now around the world to support the Palestinians, to buy into the Palestinian narrative, and to destroy the Jews. But God says he's made his decision. And nobody can disannul it. Now we come to chapter 15 and verse 1. And we'll just read these. Mostly just narrative here. So we'll just read through it. And a lot of it obviously is ancient. But clearly these prophecies have an end time application. When, when, when it, Christ said, I came to fulfill to the full. So all of these initial uh, fulfillments are like dress rehearsals. And then what happens in the near future is the full onslaught, the great tribulation, and, and, and the pattern has been established, and it will be filled to the full. Verse 1. This is a prophecy about Moab. The night R is sacked, Moab, or Moab, is ruined. So this is a city within Moab. And Moab, by the way, is, is what we would call Jordan today. These are the Jordanians. Again, Muslim nation. And, and clearly in the end time, these Jordanians are going to have some relevance, some uh, prestige in the end time, because they did anciently. The night Ar is sacked, Moab is ruined. The night Kur is sacked, Moab is ruined. He went up to the temple, to Dibon, and to the high places to weep. On Nevo and Midva, Moab is howling. Every head shaved bald, every beard cut off. So again, we don't know these particular cities, but we do know them. the Moabites are the area of Jordan today. And uh, of course, these people take pride in their beards, but they're going to be bald and the beards cut off. In the streets, they wear sackcloth. On their roofs and in their squares, everyone howls and weeps profusely. 
So something has happened. They were in a position of glory. They were part of this confederation of nations that were persecuting God's people. And now they're weeping profusely. Heshbon and El Allah cry out. They are heard as far as Yakats. Moab's best troops cry aloud as their courage faints away. So again, we don't know where these ancient cities are today. I suppose with some research we could find out. But the concept is that their glory has been destroyed. And they are in such pain and such anguish now. And Isaiah is recording this for us. He says, My heart cries out for Moab. Its fugitives flee to Zor. So, so now Moab has fugitives, and they're fleeing to Zor. A calf three years old. They ascend the slope of Lukit, weeping as they go. On their way to Horon Naim, they utter heart-rending cries. So again, this would have been fulfilled anciently, but it's a pattern that we're going to expect in the future. All these nations that are confederate against Judah, every one of them is going to suffer. And Isaiah is now pronouncing these judgments on these nations. So this chapter is the judgment on Moab. The waters of Nimrim are desolate. The grass is dried up. The new growth fails. Nothing green is left. This is like impossible to imagine when we see the success that these Muslim nations are going to have in the next decade or maybe in the next few years. They're going to be incredibly successful. They're going to be incredibly powerful. Judah is going to be constantly on the back foot. But we have to see through all of that, that God is going to act and bring all these nations down. So Isaiah is pronouncing judgment on all these Middle Eastern nations. The waters of Nimrim are desolate. The grass is dried up. The new growth fails. Nothing green is left. Therefore, they carry away their wealth, everything they have put aside, across the Vadi of the Willows. For the cry has circulated throughout Moab's territory. Its howling has reached Eglaim. Its howling has reached Ber Elim. For the waters of Dimon are full of blood. Yet I have worse in store for Dimon. This is incredible suffering. Why? Why this judgment? Because they put their hand against Judah. And the Messiah is now acting and bringing his counsel to pass. So we better not be caught on the wrong side. Yet I have worse in store. So for the waters of Demon are full of blood. Yet I have worse in store for Demon, A lion for those who escape from Moab and for those who remain in its land. So God is just deliberate. These people are cursed. This is going back to Genesis 12. Anybody who curses you, I will curse. They'll be cursed. These people are cursed. We cannot afford to be caught up with them. And so everybody, whether you escape from Moab or you remain in its land, there's a lion coming to destroy you and tear you limb from limb. Chapter 16 and verse 1. This is Moab speaking. Send lambs for the ruler of the land. From the crags toward the desert to the mountain of the daughter of Zion. Oh, what a change. What a change. These people who were destroying Judah have now come to their senses. And they now want to send an offering to the leader of Zion. The daughters of Moab at the fords of the Arnon are like fluttering birds pushed from the nest. 
Give us counsel. Decide to help. Make your shadow over us, like night in the middle of noonday. Hide our outcasts. Don't betray our fugitives. So the turn of events here. Moab is under incredible persecution. And they're now calling to the king of Zion to help them and to, to, to accept their outcasts. Let our outcasts live with you. Protect Moab from the attacks of robbers. So there's just this terrible onslaught happening to, to Moab. And they see the only way is to call on the king of Judah. For when the extorting ends, the spoiling ceases, and those trampling on the land are destroyed, then a throne will be set up by grace. And on it, this is Moab <laughs> speaking, and on it in the tent of David will sit an honest judge seeking justice and pursuing righteousness. So there's clearly an acknowledgement that the only way they can get out of this terrible curse is to acknowledge the God of Judah. We have heard about Moab's pride, verse 6 of chapter 16. We have heard about Moab's pride. There it is again. Judah suffered from it as the covenant people, and so they had to be punished. It had to be rooted out. But all these nations that God now turns his judgment toward, it's the same thing. And so that's why we have to be very, very careful about getting up, getting caught up in movements that, that appeal to our vanity, that appeal to our human pride. We, we need to be the opposite. We need to move away from pride and not get seduced by it. We have heard about Moab's pride, how very proud they are about their haughty arrogance, their insolence and bravado. And if there's one thing that Islam has, it has bravado, insolence and bravado, and this has spread. Therefore, Moab will wail for Moab. They will all wail. This has been a terrible thing they got caught up in. They really dehumanized and demonized the Jews. It was a horrible display of pride, and now God is resolving this. You will, excuse me, you will sigh, stricken by grief, for the raisin cakes of Ker Hereset, which just sort of seems to be some sort of um, delicacy. They're, they're living large. They're living very enjoyable lives. But the whole thing is turned around. Also, the vineyards of Sibma, whose red grapes are overpowered, rulers of nations. Once they reached as far as Yazer and trailed out into the desert, their spreading branches even crossed the sea. So some sort of a harvest here that they're really just uh, living, uh, living large. And, and again, the way Islam is wired, the way Muhammad uh, taught these followers, is let the Jews do the work and you just take the harvest. That Muslims don't have to work. They just have a slave class to do all of this work. And then the Jews were always very good at creating these harvests. And so they learn and they enslave these, these Jews. Therefore, I will weep for Sibma's vine as I weep for Yazer. I will water you with my tears, Heshbon and El Allah, because the shouts of battle are falling on your summer fruits and harvest. Gladness and joy are removed from the fruitful fields. No revelry in the vineyards, no happy shouting, 
No one treading grapes in the wine presses. I have silenced the vintage tears. This is why my heart throbs like a lyre from Moab, like a harp from Moab, and everything in me for care Jerez. Even when Moab is seen growing weary or of worshiping on the high places and entering their sanctuaries to pray, they will have accomplished nothing. So there's just no help for them. This is the word the Lord spoke against Moab in the past. But now, Yehovah has said, within three years and not a day more, as if a hired worker were keeping track of the time, the glory of Moab will be brought into contempt. So there's something happened here anciently about three years, maybe in the future. This is at the six month mark of the three and a half years of tribulation, but there's clearly a countdown and God is being very precise. Jehovah has said, within three years and not a day more, as if a hired worker were keeping track of the time, the glory of Moab will be brought into contempt. Despite its large population and the surviving remnant will be few and feeble. So this is Isaiah uh, chapter 15 and 16. So we will uh, leave it there. And then God willing, next week we'll come back and continue then in chapter 17. God bless you, brethren.